Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 40, which is brought to you by Text Expander and Hover. My name is Ryan Christofel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. How are you today, Federico? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I've, you know, it's been a an interesting week for, for Apple fans, as you and I are. Apple mm. announced some uh, a surprise product, uh, which I know you're very excited about. I'm... <laughs> I'm excited about it too, and I really shouldn't be because I wasn't planning to make any more Apple purchases this year. But <laughs> uh, they have a way to get to you. They do. They? They, with the with the uh, we're talking, of course, about the AirPods Max, the new over-ear headphones that Apple announced on Tuesday. And um, I personally, I felt like this was a product that was never going to launch. Um, just because as of a few weeks ago, the last we heard about the product was that Apple was facing um, several production issues with the headband design, with the, um, with the ear cups, which were supposed to have a touchpad surface before. And, uh, and I just thought, you know, this product has been delayed again. It may never be launching. This is going to be like another air power fiasco of sorts. But no, the AirPods Max are real, are here. They're coming next week. And of course, I put in an order immediately. And uh, I'm really excited about um, the prospect of Apple applying their, uh, their audio knowledge and their AirPods expertise to a much, you know, to a much bigger product, to over-ear headphones, which in theory should give them the freedom to really explore all of the uh, uh, and to really take advantage of all the, the the knowledge that they've built over the years making headphones, of course not just uh, not just uh, AirPods but also Beats headphones and and HomePod obviously, and bringing that knowledge into a product that I, I, I've been waiting for for a long time. And and I think what's really interesting here um, is how Apple is stepping into this this new territory, you know, with this pricey product because these are $550 headphones and it's even more expensive in euros and in other countries of course due to you know um, currency conversion uh, what I think is interesting is Apple basically stepping into audiophile territory here with with this kind of price tag and with their kinds of of claims that they that they have about these headphones you know a one percent distortion rate at full volume Ryan and I were just talking about this before doing the show. That's a bold claim, and uh, obviously, uh, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a headphone nerd myself, and so I will be I will be I will be running a lot of different tests with with Apple Music, with uh, with Amazon Music HD, um, as well as with uh, cable mode. With uh, I purchased in addition to the headphones, I also got the. Um, Lightning to audio jack cable that Apple sells separately, and I will be using that with my Sony Walkman music player, where I store my lossless music library. So, really interesting product. I think it's going to be a hard sell for most people. Most people are just going to be fine with with AirPods, and it's a steep difference between you know uh, getting a pair of Beats Solo or Beats Studio. And, and going from those kinds of prices uh, and headphones to the AirPods Max, I, I do see I do see some similarities here between the the first generation HomePod, the full size HomePod, and these headphones. Where like you're hitting that sort of weird price territory where you have the Apple enthusiasts 
even even those people are saying, well, do I really need to spend almost six hundred dollars on headphones, or am I fine with with my current, you know, Bose or Sony Bluetooth headphones, whatever? So it's 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 a strange. I'm gonna. It's gonna be interesting to see what kind of market there is for these headphones. Just like I thought, it was interesting to see how the first generation HomePod was gonna be received. And the HomePod sounds amazing, and I bet these headphones will sound really good, but I wonder if price will be a concern. Or maybe will the AirPods brand be enough to push this into the, into the mass market, you know, have them become mainstream? I don't know. I feel like they have a fairly distinct design as well, where it's kind of got that element of, and, and there's the five different colors. It's got the element of Oh, if you're wearing them and it's very clear what you're wearing, at least maybe it will be in time. And maybe that's like a, a reason for like a premium product. Like, oh, yeah, look at me. I've got the AirPods Max. Like, you know, it's, it's got that special element just like AirPods do. Like AirPods have kind of taken over the world. You, you, you see them and you know that they what they are. And I could see the same thing happening with the AirPods Max. But yeah, it's a fun, fun treat in what we expected to be kind of a slower time of year now. Apple's had a really busy fall, and no, they didn't have another event this month, but we got this this fun treat anyways. And, uh, you know, this isn't an AirPods podcast. This is an iPad podcast. So we're going to talk about the iPad, but uh, we kind of had to get through that a little bit because it, it was a fun thing this week. Um, but our plan was, and, and still is, that for... What's going to be our last two episodes of the show, just as we announced at the end of last episode, um, we have two more episodes and then Adapt will wrap up at the end of 2020. And so the way that we wanted to spend those episodes is kind of what, you know, lots of people tend to do at the end of a year anyways, which is take a step back and reflect and think about what the year has been, maybe think about what the future may hold. And so that's what we're planning to do. So today... We want to talk about the state of the iPad today. So the iPad in 2020. And then next episode, for our final episode of Adapt, we will look toward the future. What what does the future of the iPad look like, both in 2021 and beyond? And so uh, as we get into talking about the present day, the iPad in 2020, um, I thought maybe we could do this in maybe three separate uh, categories. First is just to cover... What are the different things that happened to the iPad this year? What are the changes that the iPad experienced throughout the calendar year? Uh, and then second, kind of give a state of the hardware lineup uh, where we talk through just how the current iPad lineup looks like from a hardware standpoint overall. And then finally wrap up with talking software and the state of iPad OS. And so today is all about today. It's about what's available right now and what the iPad looks like today. And then next time we will talk about uh, the future of the iPad. So uh, it's been a, it seems like it's been a big year for the iPad. Would you agree with that, Federico? I, I do. And, and when I look back, I, I sort of struggle to, to realize that some of, like, uh, some of these changes and features and products that we're talking about they came out a few months ago. They came out in 2020. To me, it feels like, like ages ago. Like to think that the Magic Keyboard launched in 2020. It feels like forever ago. And I know why. It's because of the pandemic and lockdowns and just 
you know, time in 2020 is stretching out to be this sort of a weird concept, right? Uh, it doesn't feel like regular time. It feels like 2020 time, which is its own thing. But yes, um, the two, I would argue that the most important hardware-related change to the iPad came out in 2020, and that was the Magic Keyboard. But I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. Before the Magic Keyboard, we got, in the spring, I believe it was in March, that, we, uh, that, that Apple announced the new 2020 revision to the iPad Pros. So both the 11-inch iPad Pro and the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, they came out in the spring. Uh, featuring some pretty minor um, changes, actually. Um, so, in, I remember uh, how when the press release came out, uh, we were all sort of hoping to see mini LED or some new display technology in the new iPad Pros. But no, the new iPad Pros keep the same display, so the same promotion display with uh, Retina resolution from um, 2018, same industrial design of the 2018 iPad Pros. Uh, what is new in the, I would argue that there are two major features in the 2020 iPad Pro lineup. One, the addition of a lighter sensor and changes to the camera, and two, the adoption of the A12Z replacing the A12X system on a chip from 2018. So, lighter was introduced by Apple, of course, on the iPad Pro before it came to the iPhone 12 Pro lineup. And on the iPad Pro, Apple was not ready to share any photography-related functionalities, uh, as we saw with the iPhone 12 Pro later in the fall. Instead, the LiDAR on the iPad Pro was, was announced as being all about augmented reality, essentially. Apple explained all the benefits of uh, LiDAR, um, the LiDAR scanner and you know, being able to have these much faster response times in, in uh, augmented reality experiences and uh, how developers were going to be able to take advantage of LiDAR to build ARKit compatible apps that, for example, were not going to require the user to scan their uh, physical location, you know, to wave the device around the room to scan uh, their surroundings. Instead, LiDAR, uh, the scanning process would happen in just a, basically a second. Um, and the other change was the performance improvements granted by the A12Z system on a chip, which, if I recall correctly, they were not dramatic improvements, uh, but Apple was still able to make some adjustments, especially, I believe, in multi-core multi scenarios um, uh, to coming from the A12X system on a chip. But it was not the A14, obviously. Uh, so I think this is a... The first case, I believe, of Apple uh, on, on the iPad lineup reusing the same overall architecture from two years prior and just updating, you know, <laughs> a single letter, if you will. So going from A12X to A12Z. I believe this was a first in, in the iPad history. Uh, so because of these relatively minor features, when the when the, the the 2020 iPad Pros came out, I I I stuck with my 2018 iPad Pro because I just felt like, well, if the you know if the performance improvements aren't that dramatic, and if the lighter sensor is all that is new effectively to the iPad Pro, and if my existing iPad Pro is going to be compatible with the Magic Keyboard, which we're going to talk about shortly, 
I guess I'm just sticking with the 2018 iPad Pro because it's going to be fine. Yeah, I did exactly the same. And I remember back when these iPad Pros came out, a lot of us were thinking like, why is Apple releasing these iPads now? And I think maybe the answer was just that they wanted something new to go with the Magic Keyboard because the two products came out at the same time. Uh, the Magic Keyboard was kind of like the biggest feature, the, the biggest you know attraction for the 2020 iPad Pro. And yes, it, it is compatible, fortunately, with the 2018 model. But I guess maybe Apple thought, well, if we're going to release this big Magic Keyboard, then we want to have a new iPad Pro to go along with it. I don't know. I still feel like there's there's a lot of question marks about why the 2020 iPad Pros exist or why they exist as they do. Like why why wasn't there maybe an A13X chip that went in there rather than the A12Z? Uh, because it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, at least compared to previous updates, right? Like it, it's fine to do a minor spec bump update, but this was definitely the smallest kind of uh, new iPad Pro that had been released as far as, you know, relative to its predecessor. So I, I still feel like I'm a little confused as to why this product exists. And maybe, um, you know, one thing, we haven't talked about it yet, but one other difference between the 2018 and the 2020 is that the 2020 models, no matter what storage capacity you got, the device came with six gigs of RAM Whereas on the 2018 models, only the one terabyte model had six gigs of RAM. And RAM is something that Apple doesn't talk about when it comes to the iPad. You know, we just find out after the fact through, you know, Geekbench and other testing mechanisms um, what what's in the product. But for me, just thinking about my experience with the iPad Pro this year, because I also stuck with my 2018 model. And once I started using iPadOS 14, I actually started noticing more issues where RAM seemed to be a problem, um, primarily in Safari. And I've mentioned this briefly in the past, but I've had a lot of issues since iPadOS 14 came out where Safari tabs are getting reloaded far more regularly than they used to. Um, and even like state restoration in things like longer PDFs, uh, it's just not as good as it was on iPadOS 13. And so I wonder if part of the equation is that, you know, Apple knew that iPod, iPadOS 14 is going to be more RAM intensive. And so they figured, oh, well, let's get more RAM in the latest iPad Pro so that, you know, Pro users have the best experience possible. Uh, maybe that's one other factor, but still overall, is it's a really small update, which is just not what we're used to. Yeah, I agree. And that, 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 was, um, that was kind of strange to see at the time and uh our you know i remember talking about the theory that apple maybe uh, wanted to get developers ready to share to to build a lighter based ARKit experiences ahead of wwdc and while that have may have been contributed to to the release of this ipad i don't think it was the main reason for shipping this update so for whatever reason apple felt apple felt that they had the a12z ready to go and uh, and uh, they wanted to do a spec bump, and which I, I guess it it uh, the the idea of a spec bump with minor feature additions isn't entirely new. I mean, uh, it's it's been happening for ages in the you know on the Mac to have these smaller updates throughout you know during a specific year. 
I just maybe you know it, it felt new to do for the iPad Pro. Um, the big thing, of course, that was announced alongside the 2020 iPad Pros, but which came out months later. So this was announced in March, and I believe we received our orders uh, toward the end of April or the beginning of May. Was the Magic Keyboard, and not just the Magic Keyboard, but also a software-related uh, feature, which is the System Pointer. So the Magic Keyboard, this to me is the most important, by far the most important change to the um, to the iPad hardware in 2020. Just because it's not a, it's not just a keyboard case. It's a, it's a change of direction and it and it's a it's the kind of feature that enabled so many more use cases for the iPad and for the iPad Pro specifically in this case. So the Magic Keyboard of course uh, a keyboard case an adjustable uh, keyboard case featuring a floating design where the iPad is floating right above the keyboard uh, supports multiple viewing angles and comes with a built-in trackpad and the built-in, and also it comes with a with a USB-C port for charging pass-through. Um, the biggest, the most important feature of the of the Magic Keyboard, it's not just the design, you know, with the with the same with with that adjustable viewing angle and the floating, uh, what's it called, the the cantilever, whatever design uh, of the of the floating hinges um, of the Magic Keyboard. There was a specific term that Apple loved to use in their marketing videos. Um, but it's the trackpad. And the trackpad takes advantage of a brand new system-wide pointer in iPadOS that is not the accessibility pointer that Apple enabled for USB and Bluetooth mice and trackpads in 2019 with iPadOS 13. This is a native pointer that integrates deeply with the iPadOS UI. And uh, so the Magic Keyboard story was fascinating, and, and I think it's the most important iPad story of 2020, perhaps even more important than, than iPadOS 14, because the Magic Keyboard was both the hardware and the changes that Apple was making to iPadOS 13.4. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, iPadOS 14 had a lot of great stuff in it, and I don't know, there's, there's a lot of things around making iPad apps more Mac-like than iPhone-like that I think will make a big difference moving forward. But it's hard to argue that, you know, the addition of the pointer to the iPad is is the biggest change this year and the most significant because it's something that I personally never thought would happen. Um, you know, Apple seemed content for a long time to kind of keep this, what seemed like maybe an artificial separation between the iPad and the Mac in that, well, the Mac has the pointer and the iPad has touch and, and that's just how it's going to stay. And now it's like, well, the iPad has everything. <laughs> you, can, you can touch it, you can use a pointer, you can use a pencil, you can use a keyboard, all these different things. Uh, it really, I think, sets the, um, the tone for how Apple thinks about the iPad, which is as, as a versatile device. It's its most versatile, most modular device in its lineup. And so that that's huge. Um, so I definitely think it was the biggest news of the year. And, um, you know, after that, it's like iPadOS 14, there's some good changes there. Um, but 13.4 and the Magic Keyboard, that it's hard to beat those. 
Yeah, and what I think is really interesting in the context of, of iPadOS 14 and the pointer is just the the, the details and the and the the level of thought then then went into designing the the pointer for iPad. There's an excellent um WWDC session about this. This I believe it's designing the iPadOS pointer, um, where Apple designers went into uh great lengths to to describe uh, all of the details of the pointer but basically what apple did was not just to say well um we we added a pointer to the ipad and now you can click stuff what they did was they they embedded the pointer within the ipad os ui to to the point where the ipad os ui each element fully responds to pointer interactions one of the one of the greatest challenges when we were imagining iPads with support for trackpads years ago, one of the great challenges that we always mentioned was how can Apple deal with the fact that iOS and iPadOS require direct manipulation, but these features that we're wishing for, such as mice and trackpads, they are built on an abstraction layer of clicking stuff with this virtual replica of your finger hovering over UI elements. And with the pointer, Apple was able to take, you know, the 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 basics of use interacting with a user interface using a cursor, using a pointer from macOS and from desktop PCs, but reimagine its design and its interactions for a touch platform. So what is fascinating about the pointer is things like pointer magnetism, which is one of these uh, concepts that Apple details at WWDC as well as in their developer documentation, where the pointer automatically snaps to certain UI elements when it, when it detects that you're moving near them. Uh, you can see this, for example, uh, in Mail or any other application on your iPad that features icons and buttons in a, in a toolbar. And when you get closer to those uh, UI elements with the pointer, the pointer at attaches to those. It snaps almost magnetically to those elements and it becomes a selection item. It, it, it gives you the, it, it literally transforms the little circle of the pointer. It literally transforms into a selection rectangle, basically into a selection shape to tell you that, yes, that element is currently selected because the pointer snapped to that button. And, uh, and you can see this, obviously, in the different shapes that the pointer can, can take onto, for example, in Numbers and in Keynote and in applications like MindNode, because, yes, third-party developers can also take advantage of this with an API. The pointer transforms into different types of arrows, for example, when you are selecting cells or... Uh, rearranging nodes on a mind map. So it's a dynamic pointer that wants to, that aims to give you the same precision that you get on macOS with the cursor, but that is not just a cursor. It can, by default, it has the shape of a, of a tiny circle that sort of reminds you of your finger, of a circular element that can touch uh, things on screen but it can also dynamically transform into more shapes than what you may be used to seeing on macOS. Obviously, when you click into a text field, it becomes an I-beam. But the idea of pointer magnetism and the UI reacting to the pointer, it's, a, 
in a way, I think it's more reminiscent of tvOS than macOS, and how on tvOS you have a focus engine that you know when you when you swipe across the Siri remote or any other remote, you can see the idea of selection being communicated to you visually in the UI. And I think the iPadOS pointer is more reminiscent of that than macOS, where on macOS you just move the pointer and you click stuff. The UI feels kind of detached from the pointer. And I think Apple did an excellent job in iPadOS in trying to combine the, these two abstraction layers, right? The UI layer and the pointer layer, meshing them together into something that feels more intuitive to me and, and, and really better designed than traditional cursors. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that such a big thing happened in a point release that 13.4 right? you know, brought this major paradigm change to the iPad. And then we still had iPad OS 14 after that. Exactly. It's amazing that that happened. And it's also amazing how such a tiny, relatively t- like tiny feature, like, oh, big deal, it's a pointer, actually hides a lot of study and a lot of research and a lot of work that went into understanding all the implications. Because the implications are huge. And I think in the context of iPad OS 14, and I realized this while I was working on my i on my iOS and iPadOS review. I was, you know, thinking back to to the spring and and the Magic Keyboard and, and iPadOS thirteen point four. I realized how all the things that Apple did in in iPadOS fourteen were made possible in you know to a certain extent by thirteen point four. So thirteen point four and the pointer in the spring were necessary to allow Apple to ship iPadOS 14 later and to prepare developers and to prepare users. Because at that point, when Apple announced WWDC um, iPadOS 14, all the pieces for pointer interaction and for developers rethinking their iPad apps for that kind of, a, that kind of interaction paradigm, all those pieces were already in place. And so Apple in iPadOS 14 was able to do a lot of features that Arguably, you know, they support both touch input and pointer input, but really they are best experienced with the Magic Keyboard and if you have a trackpad on your iPad. Right. So iPadOS 14, some of the hallmark features for iPad apps were the new layout changes, kind of the design for iPad initiative that Apple presented, which involved things like sidebars rather than tab bars at the bottom of the screen. So again, kind of more of a similarity to the Mac and having a sidebar rather than the iPhone-like tab bar that sits at the bottom for menu navigation. And then multiple columns. Apple for years has had kind of the three-column layouts for uh, Apple Notes and Mail on the largest iPad Pro, but they enable developers now to, in their own apps, have really a bunch of different options for how they use different columns while you know sticking with Apple's um, native APIs because third-party developers before could build their own custom system for showing multiple columns, but uh, Apple has given them a lot of tools this year to really take off some of the limitations that were there before in Apple's own frameworks. Yeah, and so you see this in apps like... Um, Apple's own Photos app and Music uh, Shortcuts, which now has folders this year, that you've got the 
the main navigation happening in a sidebar rather than in a tab bar at the bottom. And so that's a big change, and that's a change that really works well with the addition of the pointer and the trackpad on the Magic Keyboard. Um, but then also there were some big changes to the Apple Pencil and the way that uh, you can now you know, select written text and move it around. You can copy it. There's data detectors, things like that. Um, so there's some really nice changes in iPadOS 14. And if you kind of take that in combination with the addition of the pointer in 13.4, it was a really big year for iPad software, especially considering that last year was already a big year for iPad software. Um, for a while, Apple had kind of gotten in this cycle of every two years we get a good iPad update. And I know you and I and a lot of other people were hoping that last year when Apple introduced iPad OS for the first time, that that meant that every year now we're going to get a fair amount of good iPad software changes. And and I'd say in 2020, that's proven true, despite a pandemic. Um, so, yeah, you know, iPad OS 14, it it really has changed some fundamental things that that have to do with the way iPad apps are designed. And it really goes along well with the things Apple's doing on the developer side for both updating their frameworks and APIs for iPad developers, but also having things like SwiftUI continue to develop, um, continuing to improve Mac Catalyst. And uh, hopefully what it sets us up for is a future where more and more iPad apps are more capable than ever before. Yeah. It's, it, it has been incredible to see uh, developers rethink their iPad experiences around uh, the features enabled by iPadOS 14 and the interactions enabled by the pointer and the magic keyboard. And um, obviously you can see the benefits of, of these software enhancements in, in Apple's own apps like Photos, Music, and Shortcuts, where the sidebar really helps navigation, bringing those, uh, you know, all those different pages and sections to the top level of, of the apps of the apps uh, hierarchy and speeding up interactions because it's so much easier to just you know hover with the pointer in a sidebar and click on pages you want to navigate to um, and it also I think iPadOS 14 more than the specific details of sidebars and multi-column it also paints this uh, wider story of Apple telling developers, look, you can now build these more powerful, this richer um, iPad experiences, and you can take advantage of all these modern technologies. And when you do so, if you want to consider bringing your iPad app to the Mac, you have a lot of work already cut out for you because the new version of Mac Catalyst is now even more powerful. And all of those features that you enabled in your iPad app will automatically translate to macOS as well. And that's not to mention what Apple is doing with the new Optimize for Mac version of Catalyst. But essentially, Apple is saying there's a spectrum of, of these apps that you can make, and you can, you, know, you can make an iPad app that users use on an iPad mini in touch-only mode, and that's fine. And you can still take advantage of multi-column and split view and slide over and all of that. Or you can... You know, you can optimize for the iPad Pro where people have this uh, wider choice of accessories that they can use. They can use a pencil, a magic keyboard, a pointer, touch. They can use whatever they want. Or, you you know, the spectrum continues where you reach the point where you have this sort of a uh, hybrid experiences, if you wish, of 
of an iPad Pro app also being on the Mac and you know having this consistency that follows you around from computer to computer which i think is a really fascinating thing to 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 consider in 2020 and especially just think back to 5 years ago with the first iPad Pro i don't think we could have ever imagined reaching such a point where there was this this continuous spectrum of of apps for iPad becoming Mac apps and having these consistent consistent interactions between them and when you when you look back at what made this possible i think 2020 will be remembered you know despite the challenges and the difficulties and the weird timeline and everything i think 2020 will be remembered as a as a milestone year for ipad hardware because of what apple was able to do with the magic keyboard with the pointer but also with the software and with the ecosystem of developers. Yeah, I agree completely. And we haven't even mentioned the other hardware that came after iPadOS 14. Apple still had more up its sleeves. There was the 4th gen iPad Air uh, and the 8th gen base level iPad, which both came out in the fall. Uh, The iPad Air is the more interesting product there. It had uh, Touch ID built into the, the power button, which is really interesting. Um, it it had a screen that was about the same size as the iPad Pro. Um, we're going to talk in more detail about hardware in a minute, but those were kind of the last big iPad updates of the year was bringing out new iPad Air and new base level iPad. So, you know, I would say that in a year in which the iPad was really relied on a lot in the world, um, lots of lots of people working from home, lots of kids doing school from home. Um, it was really a good year for both hardware and software. And uh, and we'll kind of, in a second, take some time to evaluate overall uh, where we think the state of the iPad is. Uh, before we get into that, though, let me thank our first sponsor. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by Text Expander from our good friends at Smile. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so that you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, because Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still being able to customize and personalize messages to your liking. Uh, Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. So take your time back in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. Adapt listeners get 20% off their first year. So visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Go there now. You won't regret it textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off your first year. Our thanks to Text Expander and Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we want to talk iPad hardware uh, and just where the current hardware lineup sits as of the end of 2020. Uh, we've got iPad Pros. There are new ones that came out this year. The iPad Air got a new model this year. The base level iPad did as well. The iPad mini is kind of the one product in the lineup that hasn't been updated recently. 
Um, but I'd say, you know, just looking at this lineup, going from all the way up to Pro, uh, down to the smallest iPad, the iPad Mini, in my estimation at least, I think that the the two ends of the spectrum, both the iPad Pro and the Mini, are kind of where I'm looking to see the most change, hopefully this next year. Um, I feel like even though the iPad Pro did get updated this year, like we talked about, it was a relatively minor update. And then the iPad Mini not getting anything recently at all um, means that I think those two devices are kind of the most ready for something new. Whereas the iPad Air and the base level iPad, those are both in really great places. I mean, the iPad Air is pushing the bounds of the iPad Pro's capabilities, um, both with having an A14, a really modern processor, um, having a fantastic 10.9 inch display, uh, having that that design that looks just like an iPad Pro. Uh, you know, the iPad Air is in a great place. The the base level iPad, you know, for three twenty nine, I mean, it it's a great iPad. Um, it's got a nice display. It's got a you know relatively recent processor um, and at a great price. But I kind of feel like on the two opposite ends of the spectrum, the, those are where I feel like those products are not as easy to recommend right now because I I hope that there's you know replacements coming with with some additions soon um what do you think federico kind of just looking at the overall lineup which products do you think are kind of in a great place others that are you know they're good but maybe you know due for an update what do you think i feel like the ipad mini is due for an update at this point and i've mentioned this several times before i would really love to see an ipad mini update with the you know to finally get rid of the old industrial design to, to ditch the home button and adopt the same iPad Pro, iPad Pro design language. So I would love to see an iPad mini with the, with the flat sides, with uh, no uh, home button, perhaps no face ID, but touch ID like the iPad Air and the liquid retina display extending from edge to edge. So, uh, you know, keeping the same physical size, but making the display slightly bigger because of, uh, you know, um, because of the liquid radiant display and ditching the bezels, basically. And that, to me, will be a really lovely product, especially for reading ebooks and just, you know, browsing around the internet and, and, you know, reading articles in Safari, for example. That would feel, to me, like the perfect size for a... like the perfect version of a book-sized iPad uh, that you could carry around with you all the time and it will still, you know, be portable, but bigger than an iPhone for gaming, for watching video. So that, to me, is the dream portable iPad. An iPad mini with a slightly bigger display because of, a, of, a, of, of, of adoption of the same design of the iPad Pro and the iPad Air. I would really love to see that iPad in 2021. And it's been rumored, right, but not in, the, not in recent months, I think. It was rumored by, for example, Minchi Kuo to, uh, talked about this months ago. But we heard nothing um, uh, for, from Apple on this front or from other sources on this front. So I don't know, though. I mean, Apple has been on a, when you think about it, they've been on a four-month release streak for new products, right? Uh, September, uh, October, November, September, October, November, December. 
maybe they could do something in January at this point. You know, keep the announcements coming, keep the releases coming on a monthly basis. That could be fun. Uh, in addition to the iPad Mini, I think what I really would love to see is a proper update to the to the iPad Pro. You know, to you know, it's been in 2021. It'll be three years since the introduction of the current version of the iPad Pro, basically the 2018 iPad Pro, which is introduced uh, in October 2018 in New York at a Brooklyn event. I was there, uh, and, and that was a really fun event. Um, I would love to see a proper refresh with the new display technology. Uh, Mini LED has been rumored uh, several times this year as, you know, Apple's... Um, uh, 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 in, with Apple's intention to move away from LCD and bring um, OLED quality, OLED image quality to the iPad. I think that would be really interesting to see. But also, I I wonder if Apple could do things like um, perhaps more than just one USB-C port uh, on the iPad Pro. Perhaps, and I know that we talked about this before on the show, an even bigger iPad Pro at this point with the iPad Air closing the gap for most people in the 11-inch um, tablet space. Uh, this was the topic of one of our previous episodes. I really think that the iPad Air, for most people, is a better deal than the 11-inch iPad Pro. But if Apple now has this iPad Air filling that, sec- that market segment, maybe there's a way for Apple to now say, now we can go even bigger and we can make an even bigger iPad Pro, perhaps a 15-inch or a 16-inch iPad Pro that is optimized for desk usage. Just like, you know, you can buy a 16-inch portable laptop, you can buy a 16-inch MacBook Pro, I think you should be able to buy a 16-inch iPad Pro. And obviously, that would be a device optimized for desk usage. It'll be optimized for the Magic Keyboard, but you're still going to be able to use it with touch, and you still will be able to use it, you know, you could still detach it and hold it in your in your lap, it's going to be a big tablet, right? It's going to be, it's not going to be an iPad mini, but it could be possible. And in the context of, imagine having this beautiful, large canvas that you can use with your Apple Pencil, that you can use with apps like Procreate and Photoshop, that would be an ideal device for lots of designers, for lots of creatives. And uh, yeah, I think basically my, my wishes for 2021 are at the opposite ends of the iPad spectrum. I want the smallest iPad possible to be refreshed with a brand new design, and I want to see an even bigger iPad Pro. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I feel I'm like a man of extremes. <laughs> not, not, right in the middle is where life gets boring. Well, <laughs> and that's and that's somewhat true, honestly, with the iPad lineup. But that's that's kind of how it's meant to be, right? The the devices mm-hmm. that are in the middle that are um, that are in the case of the base level iPad, the the most affordable, and then the iPad Air, they're kind of meant for a larger market of users. And so that's fine. But if you have more specialized needs, perhaps, or specialized preferences, then the opposite ends of the spectrum are better suited for you. And, you know, looking at the lineup, I think that Apple's Apple's current lineup with those four distinct models makes a lot of sense. Um, the mini is maybe the one exception to that where normally you would think that a mini version of a product might be less expensive, right? It might be the most affordable option. Um, that's kind of how things are with the iPhone 12 models, uh, the HomePod mini versus the regular HomePod. 
uh, even the Mac Mini. That those are all the the most affordable kind of entry level, at least within their class. Um, and with the iPad Mini, that's not the case. The, the base level iPad is three twenty nine. The iPad Mini starts at three ninety nine, and so that's a little peculiar. Um, and I'm not necessarily asking for them to change that. I just don't know that it makes a lot of sense right now. Um, maybe it would make more sense if they do replace that iPad Mini with something with a more modern design and more modern features. Like if you had what you're talking about in a minute ago, kind of like the iPad Air with the Touch ID and the power button and the iPad Pro-like screen design and bezels, but shrink that down, uh, that could be fantastic. And it would kind of make sense that that is a more modern model than the 329 iPad. So it makes sense that it would cost more. Um, but other than that, I think the iPad lineup makes a lot of sense. Like if you if you really value the the pro premium best of the best features, then the iPad Pro is for you. And again, there's a little bit of an asterisk right there now because it has the A12Z in it versus you know the iPad Air having the two-year newer, in some ways, A14. I mean, the A12Z was technically from this year, but it's it's got one extra GPU core versus the A12X from two years ago, so it's not a big difference. Um, but mostly, you know, if you want the best of the best, the iPad Pro is still that. The iPad Air is is a good compromise between that and the base-level iPad. If you want something that is more um, modern, that has more powerful features, that works with the Magic Keyboard, then the iPad Air is a great option for you. And if you just kind of need an iPad for some basic tablet use, or maybe for your kid to do some school, um, the iPad can be a great option. I'm glad that the iPad mini still exists. You know, for a while we were concerned because it hadn't gotten updated in a little while. And then they they did release the latest version. Uh, I hope that they kind of continue pushing on that and uh, and bring out something that makes the iPad mini fit in better with the current lineup. Because really it's the only iPad still in the lineup that has those really large bezels. Um, I mean, even the base model iPad has gotten a bit better in that sense. And so it's definitely time for a change at the iPad mini level. Uh, Let me thank our next sponsor. And then I want to talk about software. This episode is also brought to you by Hover, one of RelayFM's longest running sponsors. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. So for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. And they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. If you have work that you want to show the world, then using a .design domain will show potential clients or employers that you've put time and consideration into your online portfolio. Hover has free Whois privacy, so the bad guys don't get your information, a clean UX and UI, monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. We know that you like intuitive user experiences and things that just work straight out of the box, so I know that you will appreciate Hover. Like I said, the UX and UI really is simple, clean, and easy to navigate. You know, personally, I don't think that domain management should be something that you ever really need to think about. It's something you should be able to get set up quickly and easily 
and then just let it be. So perhaps the best compliment I can pay Hover is that it has always just worked for me. It's never given me a reason to look elsewhere. I've used Hover for years, and it remains my go-to place for domains. So you can buy your domain and start using it today. Just go to hover.com adapt and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That URL one more time is hover.com adapt. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So iPad software, we saw a lot of change this year as we already covered, um, but just kind of stepping back and reflecting on the state of iPadOS as a whole, um, how do you feel about the iPad software? Because for a long time, the story of the iPad has been that the hardware is ahead of the software. Is that still true today? Maybe. Um I don't know. I think the situation has evolved and has gotten a lot better over the past couple of years. I think we are in a better place now. Let me let me put it like this. Um, assuming that you know we, we all agree that the 2020 iPad Pros are effectively the same as the 2018 iPad Pros, right? Uh, sure, it's got more RAM and it's got lighter, but by and large, it's still the same hardware experience. Then, comparing what we have today to how the iPad software was doing in 2018, then I think we're doing a lot better than two years ago. We got iPadOS 13, added multi-window, and the brand new files app and USB access. And we got iPadOS 14 with multi-column and uh, the sidebars and this new way of designing apps for iPad. So I do feel like the situation has evolved and the iPad software has made a lot of progress over the past couple of years. I don't think, I still feel like it's somewhat lagging behind the hardware in terms of, you, you, I still feel like you could do so much more on iPad than what is possible today. And the limitation is, well, it's a complex topic in that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of technical limitations, um, you know, imposed by Apple with sandboxing on iOS, and as well as design-related issues in in how multitasking operates on iPadOS. But also, it's a, it's a problem of App Store economics and just developers having to. You know, struggling to 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 make their pro apps sustainable on the App Store, which is going to change in 2021 with the App Store Small Business Program, I think, to an extent. So the situation is still in flux, but I feel like, yeah, the answer is still yes, with less emphasis, however, than compared to a couple of years ago. And I say this because I, I still want to see Apple, you know probably speaking, putting their money where their mouth is and making iPad versions of Logic and Final Cut and really sh- and Xcode, obviously, and really showing the world, yes, you can, re- you can rethink those experiences and, make it, and, and release them on iPad and support a variety of devices and a variety of inputs. And um, so th- the app story is interesting. It's also interesting the, the OS story 
of multitasking and how the iPad can still feel compared to macOS and compared to the Microsoft Surface, for example. It can still feel somewhat confusing to newcomers and overly constrained to power users. And if anything, I would say in 2021, I would love to see, and I guess we're going to talk about this in our Future of iPad episode, but I would love to see some of the confusion rectified and some of the limitations lifted in favor of more flexibility. So I would love to see Apple tackling this problem on two fronts, making the, the, the base interactions easier for all users and giving power users, you know, the people who actually purchase an iPad Pro and the Magic Keyboard and the Apple Pencil, the full suite, giving them more flexibility, more controls for multitasking, for file management, and for automation. So what would that look like in your mind? Because Mm -hmm. right now there are some options for kind of disabling certain features, right? You can disable um, multitasking and kind of make your iPad just a simple one app at a time iPad the way that the iPad started. Um, So do you foresee kind of something similar to that where Apple continues beefing up the power features, but then includes toggles where you can just kind of disable those things? Or do you see an approach where Apple designs things in such a way that you can, you know, you don't have to take advantage of those extra features, but they're also not going to get in your way. Um, But if you do want to do more with your iPad, then you can kind of learn the different systems and, and take advantage of those things. Like, do you see it as a well, here's these power features, you can turn them on or turn them off, or these features are always on, but we've designed it in such a way that it's, you know, it's not going to get in your way if you don't want to use those things. That's a very good question, and, and it's tricky, right? How can you, can you design an operating system that scales from novice to average to expert and pro user. Um, But I feel like, so practically speaking, I feel like the current system for managing slide over and split view is too difficult. And it's both too difficult to understand and too constrained for pro users who actually understand it. Um, I think a really really important point that 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 I made in, in my iOS review and that we also discussed here is how w- with iPadOS uh, 13.4 and the Magic Keyboard and just in general, with Apple in 2020 left a very clear message to iPad developers, which is if you want to build a modern iPad experience, you need to make sure that your feature or your application, whatever you're designing, you need to make sure that it works both via touch and via the pointer. It needs to end with the Apple Pencil. I would also add that because of Scribble. Um, this, is a, like, this is the new path that Apple has set for designing software on iPad. It needs to support this multiplicity of inputs. Multitasking on iPad and the way that you manage split view and slide over, which, and especially split view, because I feel it's a concept Right? I want to use two things at once. I think it's a concept that 
most people can grasp immediately. I want to see two windows on screen at the same time. It's even more, I, I think split view is even more common than, than slide over, which can be a little, a little esoteric, if you wish. But those features, they were designed effectively in 2017 with uh, iOS 11. It wasn't even called uh, uh, iPadOS. And they were designed and launched in an era when the trackpad did not exist, the Magic Keyboard did not exist, you couldn't even take advantage of the f- sort of fake pointer, which by fake, I mean the accessibility pointer, which is an, an actual accessibility feature that a lot of people you know, manage to sort of retrofit for their non-accessibility-related needs. Um, the iPad in 2017 was a, a touch, effectively like a touch-only computer. Yes, you could use a, a smart keyboard. Yes, you could take advantage of, of keyboard shortcuts but you still needed to touch the screen for all kinds of interactions. And so Split View and Slide Over are byproducts of that era. Uh, you still need to use, you primarily use, you only, effectively, you only use drag and drop to activate them and to manage them. No, there's no keyboard shortcuts, there's no menus, you just have to use drag and drop. And drag and drop, the way that it's currently designed and the way that you manage and activate those features it's kind of awkward to use with the with the iPadOS 14 pointer and with with the with the small trackpad of the Magic Keyboard, and so what I think Apple should do here is follow their own philosophy and rethink multitasking around this simple concept of it should designed both for touch and for the pointer. It shouldn't just have one single activation method. It should support multiple activation methods. There should be an easier way to add something to split view via a menu or via keyboard shortcut or via search. You shouldn't be forced to precisely drag an icon to a specific non-visually communicated area of the screen, right? To to activate either slide over or split view. So more clarity in the UI and more activation methods, again, make it simpler, but also make it more flexible at the same time. It's a big task, for sure. It's not easy, but look, they, I believe that especially in the, the, in the design and department, and um, Apple is full of really, really smart and thoughtful and passionate people, Again, I recommend you go watch the designing the pointer for iPadOS 13.4 session video from WWDC. Watching that video, it confirmed to me that, and and I mean, I knew this before, but it's nice to have a, a, a practical confirmation that there's a lot of folks who really, really think deeply about design and modern interactions on all kinds of computers at Apple. So it's a big task. It's not easy, but they can do it. Yeah, I've got a link in the show notes to that video from WWDC. It really is fascinating just seeing what all Apple did and what all they thought about in coming mm-hmm. up with this design. Just asking questions that I would never think to ask. And right. uh, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. So well that's today's episode. That's episode 40. Next time in our final episode, we will look even more to the future. Obviously, we got into that a little bit today in talking about the current state of the iPad, but 
Uh, we'll look even more future forward next time. Um, but for today, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Text Expander and Hover. If you want to find show notes for today, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 40. And follow us online. Federico is on Instagram and Twitter as at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And he's the editor-in-chief at MacStories.net. And you can find me on Twitter as at Iryan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. Until next time, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. Bye.